0: Hello, everyone. Merry Christmas. Hey, it's close enough. We're going to start saying it. So, um, Dustin earlier said that, he goes, um, I never talk to myself. It's true. I never hear him talking to himself. I have been heard many times talking to myself in the office and everything, and it's because I need expert advice. Oh, boo. So, all right. How are you all doing? Good. You ready for this? Right. The season, I mean, and, and everything? I was good until that joke. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for something to throw. <laughs> <Thank you>. So, an <laughs> anonymous poet once wrote, A baby born in Bethlehem, his hands soft and gently curled, but held within their dimpled grasp, the hope of the entire world. You ever notice how babies just grab people's attention? We just love them. Have you ever noticed that when famous people have a baby, that the world goes crazy? Whether it's the celebrities or the so-called royal family in London. When they have a child, it seems like it's a worldwide celebration and when the family emerges, there is all this paparazzi and media and they're trying to get glances and pictures of the baby, they're hounding them for them. I, I couldn't imagine that. I had a hard enough time just trying to keep my baby away from my parents because I wanted to hold them and, and, you know, grandparents and others just want to hold a baby, right? Well, let's think of this. I don't think that was a problem much for Mary and Joseph to endure. The world couldn't have cared less about the birth of a little Jewish baby to a working-class carpenter and his young wife. The world was more focused at that time on Caesar Augustus and his census, and more importantly, the taxes that would go along with it to Rome and everyone under their control. Who cares about a little baby when important stuff like that was happening? In Luke chapter 2, let's look there. Verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augusta issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while that guy was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Rome didn't care if you were pregnant, poor, or not. This was not a request. It was an order issued by Caesar and carried out by governors. This was a command, you will go do this, I don't care about your circumstances, now do it. Verse 4, so Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, a time came for the baby to be born. Now, there's a lot of stuff we're going to kind of look at in this that might be... Wait a minute, that's not how I remember it. But we're going to really hit this. Joseph and Mary, they leave for Nazareth in Galilee and head to the hometown of Bethlehem in Judea. It's about 90 miles through rugged terrain. This trip would have taken about a week. Now, let's just say, ladies... You're getting near to the end of that pregnancy. How many of you want to walk for a week on a journey through rugged terrain and don't you're going to wear those little flat sandals if you have sandals? The Bible doesn't tell us whether Mary rode a donkey or they both walked. We always picture, you know, she's sitting on a donkey and he's leading it. We don't really see a lot of that. It's just that they got there. We don't know how long they were there until she gave birth, either. It just says while they were there. So she's about 33, 36 weeks pregnant. How many of you ladies feel like that's a comfortable time of the pregnancy? Nobody raised their hands. Yeah, a guy raised his hands. Yeah. Now, this may shock you, okay, but do you know there's no innkeeper? in this section? Let's, let's read it. Luke 2, 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son, her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them or there was no room for them in the inn. Where's the innkeeper? We don't, we don't really know of one here. Um, we don't know if Jesus was born in a stable, a cave, or an animal yard. We don't know if angels looked on the on him with the animals there, or even what time of day it was. If I were to ask you what time of day was Jesus born, what would you say? Nighttime. Why? Because there was a star. Except the star shone day and night, scripture says. Oh, so he could be born. We've got a lot of traditions that we think, don't we? Okay. We know there was no room available for them because. Everybody went home for the census. People were renting out everything. They were renting out their own living rooms to make some money at this point. Everyone had to go home to complete the census. And, and since Joseph went home to his hometown, where he was born, when you travel to something like this, you're hoping to stay with family. They're cheaper usually. But no one gave up their bed for this this man and his young, soon-to-be bride, the birth of this child, there was no room. It's very hard for me to imagine this. I can't imagine going up to a hospital and them saying, Hey, um, sorry, we don't have any room here for your wife to give birth. Why don't you go to the parking garage? The, I can't imagine that. But yet, Joseph and Mary did. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, and placed him in a manger. I think that's incredibly ironic. The Messiah, the Savior of all mankind, is here, and yet, the world had no room for him. The world had no room for Jesus. Isn't that sad? The world did not welcome him, As God stepped into humanity, the world had no room, and the truth is crazy, this truth is crazy and sad. How could there not be room for the one who holds all creation together? How could there not be room for the one who truly loves us unconditionally? How could there not be room for Jesus? And the sad truth is, many of us leave little room for Jesus. We say it, we like it, we want it, but do we truly leave room for Jesus? Several years ago, there was a song titled Signs. It was first sung by a Canadian rock group, five-man electric band, and then in 1990, Tesla did a remake of the song. The chorus says, "Signs, signs, everywhere a sign, blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind, do this, don't do that, can't you read the sign? Yeah, I was wondering who would know that. So the writer of this song, he, um, <clears throat> Les Emerson, was, was driving down Route 66 in California. He couldn't get over the amount of signs, of billboards, and all these signs everywhere. And, and signs are a reality. Do you know what's really kind of weird right now? You go north on 1-101 and get into Butler, and what sign is not at the intersection? A block road. It's It's done. Finally, we're waiting for these signs to go away, aren't we, in this intersection? Signs aren't the thing, they're just telling information about the thing. They're telling us what's coming, whether it's a stop, road work, dead end. You see the sign and know later on that is coming. It would be hilarious if they put a speed bump sign after the bump. What would you, oh yeah, I already know that's what it is, okay? So it's always beforehand. Signs deliver information about what's coming up. You can choose to ignore them, but that doesn't change the truth of the sign. The shepherds were told about a sign, a very specific sign. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger the sign the manger isn't the reality the sign pointed the shepherds to the reality they were looking for a manger that was occupied not just any manger they were looking for a sign that would say this is the one the reality wasn't the manger but who was in the manger now how did the angel describe Jesus called him a savior The Messiah, the Lord. Those three titles there. So after they were told this, what did the shepherds do? When the angels had left them, gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed At what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds go off looking for the sign, the manger. And notice in verse 17, when they'd seen him, not when they saw the manger, when they had seen him, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, then they told everyone else. The sign points to the reality. What signs is God putting in our life to point us to the reality that we need something stronger, better, greater in our faith relationship with him? Now we can choose to ignore them or we can choose to go search for the signs that lead us to the reality. Now what kind of sign is a manger? A feeding trough. I I want you to think you're a brand new mother, okay? Brand new little baby, and you need to lay the baby down, and you choose a feeding trough. Do you know how dirty those are? It's got cow and pig and donkey slobber all over. Could have, (laughs) that's right, (laughs) could have hay in it, and sometimes, do you know what else lives in hay? If you're a farmer, you know. What'd you say? Well, poop could be in the hay. Hopefully not in the feeding trough. But there could be critters. How many of you want to go, oh, that's a great place for a baby? So I I want to think that she would say, clean that up, Joseph. Before. And notice it didn't just lay him in it. It was wrapped in cloths. There was a little bit of a barrier, a little bit of cleaning. But is this feeding trough a place for a baby? You're right. No. And yet here is Jesus who... The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, laying in a manger. So what does that sign signify? It's a sign for everyone. If Jesus had been born in a mansion, only the privilege would have been welcomed. If he'd been born in the castle, only the elite. But Jesus came and was laid in a manger, in a servant's area. God gave a sign of a manger, a simple wooden object that would hold the perfect Son of God as a sign for anyone and everyone to come to Him. And the real meaning of Christmas is found in God's plan to save mankind from their sins. It's a sign of everybody to come to Jesus. The manger was not the reality, it was a sign. Not only does Christmas involve the manger story, But Christmas ultimately points to the cross. Another sign, a wooden object that would hold Mary's newborn lamb, this one wooden object would hold the perfect lamb of God, dying to take away the sins of the world. The real meaning of Christmas is the miraculous story of God's plan to rescue you and I by becoming, Jesus came to become one of us. And and the angel said, this is a story of good news with great joy for everyone. Probably didn't seem like good news immediately to the shepherds, even though they were amazed at all they'd seen and heard. Even though afterwards they glorified, praised God for all they'd experienced, they returned to their jobs. Now the mangers would know something about mangers. Mangers were typical in animal keeping. And I wonder, as I was reading this, how many of those shepherds were still around 33 years later? How many of them remembered going and finding the sign that led them to the reality and now they are seeing a different sign, somebody else laying on a wooden cross? Sometimes Christmas doesn't seem like good news. We just need to know that, Christmas doesn't seem like good news and great joy for everyone. The person experiencing their first Christmas without a loved one, Christmas doesn't seem good for them. The financially strapped parents trying to figure out how to pay the bills and afford gifts. People are struggling with illness, sicknesses, those who are battling addictions, Christmas doesn't always seem like good news. I know when I've been in that type, the songs seem kind of hollow, the shopping is a chore, the cold doesn't get any warmer just because somebody says Merry Christmas. But I believe with all my heart, Christmas was made for those with a broken heart. Not the false, grisly, tinselly thing we sometimes call Christmas, but the real, the ultimate Christmas. I've been seeing a few of the Christmas commercials, and there's this little boy, and he sees something change, and so he goes and puts this car out, and Christmas comes, and it's a brand new Lexus. Yeah, like that's going to really work. Do you know you're not going to find good news of great joy in a new SUV? You're not going to find good news of great joy stuffed in giant stockings or under an even more gigantic Christmas tree. You won't discover it in a bottle or an eggnog. It's not, it is only found in God's plan, in His purpose. No matter how the circumstances are, no matter what the signs are, the reality is Christmas is for us because it leads us to the cross. It is a gift that gives to us to lead us to the reality that Jesus died for us. Now, with earthly signs, you get information, and the result is almost instant. You see a sign that says, bump ahead, you know there should be a bump ahead. When you see a 20-mile-an-hour curve sign, the curve is just moments ahead of you. God's signs show up before the reality. He's telling us, He's showing us so that we can be ready and on the lookout for Him. It's why faith is essential and ingredient in pleasing God, it says in Hebrews 11.6. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. Now, here's these signs. An unmarried teenage girl giving birth to her firstborn son and only having a manger, a feeding trough as a bassinet does not seem good or ideal. Her visitors are shepherds, smelly, socially outcast strangers. Can you imagine that? You're sitting there in the manger. You cleaned it up finally. You laid the baby in. And here comes bumbling, smelly shepherds. Now, when you have other people coming into the house when you've got a brand new baby, what do you usually tell them? Shh. These guys were excited. They came in. They didn't come in and go, where's the baby? They said they were great excitement. They had an amazing story and they left with tremendous excitement to share with everyone else. And Mary's response tells us a lot about how she handled these things, about trusting the signs that God gives, even when the circumstances don't seem good. Verse 19, but Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 21, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, his name was Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. She treasured these things up, the smelly shepherds, the manger, she treasured them all up and thought about them. From before he was born to seeing Jesus grow to leaving home and starting his ministry, Mary was there. As far as we know, Mary is the only one who was at Jesus' birth and at his crucifixion. She laid him in a feeding trough, and she was there when he died and was laid down in a tomb. Can you imagine being a 16-year-old-ish, pregnant Jewish, unmarried girl, being informed that, hey, you're favored by God, you're going to be pregnant. I know you're not married, but it's going to happen. And he's going to reign over all the house of Jacob forever. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. I'm engaged, but I'm not married. A few things need to happen first. The angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And the one who is going to come to you is the Son of God. Mary's response. Look at Mary's response. In Luke 138. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left. I am the Lord's servant. Mary Mary was nearly divorced, forced to become an immigrant in her teens, gave birth in a foreign town, laid that baby in a feeding trough, and she says, I am the Lord's servant. Several years later, Mary would witness her firstborn's gruesome execution. She would have been in her late 40s, early 50s, when she stood at the foot of the cross and she watches her beloved oldest son arrested, beaten, tortured, and displayed for the world to see, nailed to a cross as a common criminal. From on the cross, Mary sees Jesus and, and he talks to her, so we know she got up close. Her son, who was deserted by his brothers, his earthly brothers, who mocked his messianic pretensions, Jesus spoke to his mom and to his best friend, John, and he says, Mom, John will take care of you. John, this is your mom. Please take care of her. If you ever wonder if God can bring good out of something bad, think of Mary. She had all the circumstances, all the signs that said it's going to be a rough and bad life. And yet the reality, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord was given to her and her reality became something extraordinary. From the manger to the cross, she knew Jesus was the Savior of the world, the glue that holds all creation together. Colossians 1:19 and 20. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him... God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood, not on the manger, but on the cross. Do you realize and remember that once we were all alienated from God? We were separated. But God loved us so much, he couldn't leave us that way. Instead, God sent real signs to give us hope. And those signs pointed to the reality that we need a Savior, a Messiah. We need a Lord. Christmas is about God coming to be one of us, to reconcile, to redeem us, to, re- to unite us with Him in each other. We can't just end today looking at the manger and the cross, because those are Those were signs that pointed to the reality, and I want to look just a little bit past that to see what the reality was. The last mention of Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, is after his resurrection. She's present with the disciples. But look and listen to who's here. Acts 1, 13 and 14. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and who? The brothers of Jesus. Everyone is praying together, it says, including Mary, but not just the disciples here. Not just the followers, but here we see Jesus' earthly brothers have come to believe in Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. The whole family is here to celebrate together. As you grow up, Christmases change. When we were little, what did we want? We wanted all the magic and and the joy and the food and the presents. And it was just a, a great time. Christmases are very different for me now that I'm older. There are people absent, chairs that are empty. Now, being with those I love gives me so much joy. When the boys come, oh, we were just talking about this, I was sharing it with someone else. The boys came, are coming home for Christmas. Do you know what that means? Double or triple grocery bills. That was him, yeah. Being with my family is a big deal. I can't imagine the faith that it takes, that it takes from trusting God as a virgin to lay your son in a manger, to see him grow in wisdom, stature, and then to be nailed on a cross, to have your other children mock and berate him, and then everything changed. The cross is the sign that brought the family back together. Now, I want to explain some of this. The hope of Christ started in the manger, displayed on the cross, poured out to each one of us. While the cross of Christ will not always bring our earthly families together. It brings us back to the family we are meant to be with God the Father. That's what I mean by that. The cross of Christ brings the real family back together. We all, many of us have some family, earthly family members that are not with us or with Christ. So bad, want to have that reunited with him. And it all comes back to this. A baby is born in Bethlehem, his hands soft and gently curled, But held within their dimpled grasp was the hope of the entire world. Do you know why he was able to hold hope? Because he was willing to take the nails in his hands. He was willing to hold that so that I could hold the hand of God. Hope was given to all those who accept Jesus as their Savior, the Messiah, and Lord. And Christmas is full of signs like this. Signs are not the reality. Signs are just there to help us know we're almost there. The reality is we're living in a dark and desperate world, a world full of deceit, evil, and death. But God gave us signs, signs to point to the reality that we need something more, and God is that hope. There's a lot of people who are feeling hopeless right now. Because of financial, physical situations, maybe family dilemmas, it just seems like there's no hope. And all we have to do is remember, the signs are not there, they're not the reality, the signs are there to point us to the real reality that Jesus is that hope. That we can come to Him, that He can bring uniting, He can give us purpose, He can redeem and reconcile us, first and foremost to God the Father. And even in the midst of this dark and broken world, he still gives hope. There are some in here who are struggling with that idea of hopelessness. Whatever it is, are you willing to let go and stop looking at them and look at the hand that offers us the hope? The nail-printed hand. It is so cute to see those chubby, dimpled, tiny baby hands. You just want to mess around with them and and play with them and hold them. How much more to see those nail-scarred hands that took the weight of my sin as they reach out to me. How much more do I want to hold on to them and let them hold me? We're gonna stand and pray and, it, and if you need help with hope this Christmas season, won't you come and talk with us and let us go to the cross of Christ where we find that ultimate hope. Let's stand and let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you are the hope of the world, that we can find our true meaning, we can find our true purpose in you. Help us, God, to not be uh, distracted by the glittery, tinsely ways of this season but to help point everybody to the true signs and the reality is that we need you. Remind us first, God, so that we can show that to the world. I thank you, God. I thank you so much. Let those beautiful little precious baby hands grew in stature and strength. And they came so powerful that they held our sins. And then they broke through death and they're reaching out to us again. Thank you, Jesus, for being a God who does that continually and always. And in your name we pray. Amen.